0: It is good to see your smiling faces. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, If you haven't had a chance yet, you can take uh, any of the kiddos out, nursery, preschool, and take them on in. Uh, A couple of brief announcements. This is the last week for this sermon series, Fresh Fire, and uh, next week we are jumping back into the gospel according to John. I'm excited about that. And... uh, Kenny or Tom will be bringing the word to us. That is, as of yet, still undecided, but one of them. And I'm, I'm stoked about next week jumping back into the gospel, according to John. And I'm excited about today. Today is going uh, to be interesting. Um, it's going to be a little heavier than most sermons, because we're talking about glory. Which means what? Does anybody know? Heaviness. Weight, yeah. So it's going to be a little heavier. Um, and the truth is, I'll start out with this statement God wants to heal your heart and free your life and give you purpose and meaning greater than you can imagine. Sound like good news? But it starts, it starts by freeing you from the things that are controlling your life. And that's, that's kind of a painful process. It's kind of like uh, somebody who has a, a heart problem. And they can't run very far. They can't run very fast. They can't really participate in life. They are not living life to the fullest. And so they go, and the doctor says, all right, well, we're going to make your life better, but first we're going to have to open you up and do some open-heart surgery, right? And so, so oftentimes some of the most amazing stuff that God has for us start with him opening us up and doing a work inside our hearts, right? You guys attest to that. And that's, that's kind of what today is going to be. In fact, today's kind of like the consultation before you go to the operating room. You guys ever had that? You go and sit down and you walk away with like 20 pamphlets on the surgery you're about to get. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. So today, today is going to be a little more informative, but um, I do believe God's going to do some awesome stuff. Today I've asked uh, Austin to come and read Isaiah chapter 6. And the three movements you'll see kind of in this, in this passage, three movements, is uh, you're going to see this, this movement um, from where Isaiah is busy in his life, and he sees God, and he says, woe. Woe is me. And God is going to say, look, I'm doing something. And the old English word for that is lo. So woe, low," And then the third point, get ready, God says, who will go for me? So the three big points of the sermon are whoa, low, and go. And with that being said, Austin, take it away, man.
1: Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Awesome, awesome. Okay, I have a question real quick. Raise your hand if this is true of you. When you wake up in the morning... When you get up out of bed, you think about the holiness of God and the glory of God. <laughs> you say, holy, 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 in the threefold repetition that's so important in the Hebrew. Who thinks about that like you first wake up in the morning? Yeah. Me neither. Me neither. Don't worry. All right. So I'm about to read Isaiah 6. This is awesome. Bear with me. It's kind of a long chapter. I hope that as I'm reading this, you are encouraged. Maybe, maybe this will be the beginning of you thinking about this when you wake up in the morning. I hope that you're encouraged and I hope that you know that you're forgiven for when you fail to do so, because it's actually a cardinal offense to not esteem God rightly. So I'm going to read this, but first I'm going to pray, so pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are good and you loved us first and you came to us first We didn't come to you, you came to us. You walked with us in the garden, and even when we messed that up, you continued to walk with us. You gave us your law, you showed us who you were, um, you did incredible things to save us, and you sent your son to die for us, because we couldn't fill that void between you and us. Only the God-man could do that. So we want to say thank you. We want to listen to this portion of scripture with gratitude, understanding the, the seriousness of it, and understanding that what we failed to do, Jesus succeeded in our place. So we thank you. I pray, Lord, that we would receive this in the, in the spirit in which it's intended to, to grow us and to develop us. And I pray that you would be glorified because you are holy. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Isaiah six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this, say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tent remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stumps remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump.
0: Hmm. Amen. Thank you, Austin. So woe, lo, and go. Have you guys ever been busy doing something and all of a sudden, something else happens that just stops you in your tracks. It's like you've got your head down, you're just going about your daily business, you've got all your daily concerns going on, and then bam, something happens that grabs your attention, and it's almost like you forget anything else exists. It happened to me this past week. My dad, um, it was like 10 30 at night, and I get this text message that says, Vince, it's your dad, it's an emergency call me now, and my parents are older, I'm starting, uh, oh gosh, so I go, I just sit on the couch, and I called my dad, and it was, the car had, the car wouldn't start, and my mom was, my mom was stranded, and I was just like, okay, but you know, in that moment, I totally forgot what was going on around me, I couldn't, you know, you have those moments, where you're like, I don't even remember what I was doing before, it was just, it was, it was a scary moment, and um. That is exactly what we see happen here to Isaiah. He's the prophet of God. Five chapters in, he's already been prophesying about the doom of Judea if they don't change and turn their heart around and start worshiping God. And in this moment, he comes face to face with the glory of God. It says, it says in, in verse 1 it was the year King Uzziah died. Like, King Uzziah had this reign of you know, prosperity in Israel. And he dies off the scene. Can you imagine the political unrest? Can you imagine the fear of this great mighty king is dead, and now what if other nations come in and attack us? You know, he's going through all this stuff, the stuff of everyday life. He's walking, and he's got his head down, thinking about it, and he walks into the temple, and all of a sudden, what happens? He sees the Lord. high and lifted up, on a throne, and his train fills the temple. And all of a sudden, like, you got my attention, right? You have my attention. And everything else that he was thinking about going through, just kind of, it's gone in a moment. Because he sees the Lord God. And what else does he see? He sees, as as Kenny was talking about, he sees the angels, the mighty seraphim, who are, you know, if an angel ever shows up, like if you read scripture and angels show up, how do people tend to respond to that? Yeah, right? Like, oh, you know, it's, there's enough glory in an angel. But what are the angels doing in the presence of God? They're covering their faces, right? They're covering their feet, and they're just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels get it. The glory of God is a big deal. It's life-changing, life-altering. And they say, holy, holy, holy. And when we talk about that, we ha- when we're talking about the whole earth being full of God's glory, we have to start there with defining what God's glory is. It's that Hebrew word kabod, which means, as we said earlier, weightiness, heaviness, right? I, I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones, the-, the masterful preacher, described it. He said, the glory of God Refers to the manifest excellence of God. So, what is God's glory? God's glory is the revealed character of God, all of his invisible attributes. This stuff, because God's kind of transcendent. None of us have seen him, right? We can't see his holiness, we can't see his beauty, but God will make himself known. He will manifest himself, and we see. The light of his glory. That's what Piper would say is the glory of God. It's the manifest excellence of God. He agrees with Martin Lloyd-Jones there. And so all of God's character is hidden unless he reveals it. It's, it's kind of like what Paul says in Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, we can't see them, right? Namely, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So even though God is invisible, his glory is shining out throughout creation and we see it. And we stand in awe of it. That's why that's why when you see an amazing sunset, what's one of the words that we use to describe it? Oh, it's glorious. Yeah. Or you go to a concert where the music is just building and the crowd is into it and you're just like, "Oh, there's something amazing happening here." It's something that is almost transcendent. And, and so we see glimpses of God's glory in creation. And we stand in awe of human ingenuity, right? But the truth is, we couldn't handle seeing God's glory straight on. I mean, that's that's what Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And he says, No man can see me and live. Right? We can't handle it. It's kind of like the difference of um, we see God's glory in creation in the same way that we see the sunlight shining on things and illuminating things, and that's, sunlight's pretty awesome, gives life to the planet, all, all that stuff, right, so thank God for sunlight, but now imagine taking a telescope like Galileo and just pointing it at the sun and staring straight into it, yeah, didn't he go blind from that? I think he went blind from that, he ended up a blind crazy man in prison, <laughs> st- staring at a sun, at the sun through a telescope, that's, that he invented, um, or it's like trying to land on the sun. Like one, the glimpse of God's glory that he's, he allows us to see in nature is beautiful. It illuminates things. But too much of God's glory will kill us. We can't handle it. It's kind of like, um, it's like this, God is holy. And so when we see his holiness, when we stand, can, can sin, can brokenness remain in his presence? No. So it's like all that brokenness and sin and imperfection in me gets just whoosh, Whisk away. And what's left? Well, if I, apart from Christ, what am I full of? Yeah. So apart from Christ, I can't stand in the presence of a holy, glorious God without just being melted away as it were. And that's, that's exactly what happens. Isaiah catches this, this glimpse of God's glory. And what happens? What's his response? Whoa! It's a different woe, actually. It's woe. Woe is me, <laughs> right? Woe is me. Why? Because he sees God's glory and he sees everything else in light of it. All the stuff he's been living for, all the people he's been trying to please all his struggles with addiction and all the lesser motivations that drive him, the goals he's been chasing, the idols he's been serving, he sees all of that in light of a holy God. It it brings everything into perspective in this moment of clarity and reality, and he falls on his face. The the holy prophet of God falls on his face and says, I'm undone. I'm unworthy. I'm unclean. Right? Right? Why is that? Because as fallen human beings, when we come face to face with a glorious God, we realize how much we fall short of his glory. How much we come up short in our purpose in life. You have a purpose in your life, and we're going to get to that in a second. Right? What is that purpose? We were created. Say this with me. I was created... To live for God's glory. glory. Isaiah says it later on himself in Isaiah 43.7. He says, God says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So we were made for God's glory. And very much sin, when you talk about sin, you start talking about words like that. What does that mean? Sin is the result of us living for something less than God's glory. That's why Romans 3.23 says, all have, yes, yeah, sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. John Piper, I love what he says about that verse. He says this, and I've got a quote on the screen. Now, what would fall short of glory mean? I wish I could channel Piper right now, but I'm not going to put you through that. What would fall short of glory mean, and why would it be a problem unless you had shown that God made us to glorify him? And that we have failed in the very destiny for which we were made. In other words, the essence of sin cannot be understood unless you begin with God in his glory. So what Piper is saying here is that the root of our sin and our ongoing struggle with this perfection-imperfection thing, it doesn't come down to a list of do's and don'ts. It's much bigger than that. It's much deeper than that. At the end of our day, it's a glory issue. We're dysfunctional. Our hearts seek our own glory instead of God's. We want to be our own boss. We want to do things our way and our timing, right? Anybody? Yeah. Look at the story of God. Why did Lucifer fall from grace? You guys remember? I want to be better than I will lift my throne above the stars of yeah. God. Yeah. How about Adam and Eve? What's, this, what's the serpent tempt them with? Yeah, you will be like God. There's this, there's this glory factor. Us wanting to be our own gods, in charge of our own destiny. And you see it all throughout the prophets. I, I won't put you through it time after time. Again, it comes down to this black and white truth that everything I do, everything, is ultimately either for my own glory or for God's. Everything. Now, I know that can be confusing because we have motivations behind what we do. And I think oftentimes we think our motivations are pretty pure. Right. Um, and oftentimes we have multiple motivations. But at the end of the day, let me ask you a question. What is your ultimate motivation behind anything? The biggest one, the main reason why you say or do anything. And I'll just open up a uh, so, as I was thinking about this, this week, next week we have uh, 29th. What's the 29th? That's Thursday. That's this week um, is my anniversary. So uh, yeah, I'm very excited about that. I'm going to take my wife out. Um, We're going to go out on a nice date. Why do you think I'm going to take my wife out? Because I'm smart? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that glory. Just keep it coming. Yeah. What? Why do, I, why do I want to take my wife out? I, I love her, right? Yeah. And, and why else? Because <laughs> I have to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, if I'm honest, like, I want her to love me. I want her for me. I want to stay together with her in marriage. And not celebrating or forgetting an anniversary does not contribute to that right? And and at the end of the day, like, if I really track backward a little bit, there's there's a little bit of me in there, too. Okay, I'm taking her out for me, too, not just her. I wish I was, like, totally selfless, like, oh, just, but no, not most of the time. And, and then you say, well, why do you want her to love you? Oh, man, now you're getting into Pandora's box, right? You start opening that thing up. Why do I feel like I need love from somebody? Why do I need that? Why am I living, like, is it the acceptance? that I crave? Is it the security, the sense of security and family and kids and all this idealistic life? It gives me a sense of value and identity. What is it that I need from her love? If I'm honest, like if I track backwards, if I ask myself why enough about anything, a lot of times I come up to a place where I see my own heart and I say, wow, I'm doing this at the end of the day for me. Even even religious stuff, you can preach sermons for you. Pats on the back, high-fives. Great, great message today, Pastor. Thanks, man. Yeah, I know I'm pretty glorious. We all fall victim to it. We get caught up in tunnel vision in our lives and our plans and our schemes and our way for ourselves so we can ultimately be satisfied and glorified in our lives, and what I need more than anything. Is to be interrupted by God's glory. To be reminded of who God is and who isn't. To see everything in my life in the light of God's glory. And You say, dang Vince, like this is heavy, man. Like, if I wanted to get beat up, I'd join a fight club. Like, no, there's good news. The story's not over. Let's keep going. What happens when he confesses his sin? Is he destroyed? Is it like that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where he just melts away? <laughs> no, look what happens. Number two, lo. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs, with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, or lo, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So God, in his mercy, sends one of his holy angels To cleanse him so he can supernaturally stand in the light of God's glory without fear and without dying. That's amazing. How would you like to be able to do that? Oh, here's good news, by the way. You can because of Christ, but we'll get there not get too far ahead. If we are in Christ, we can supernaturally stand in the light of God's glory without melting away because his sacrifice has paid for all our sins and we're clothed in his righteousness. That's good news. I'm clothed in Christ's perfection. So I don't have to be afraid of God's glory running the other way. In fact, I can run towards it like the prodigal son who's running home to dad because of what Christ has done. And we find a couple of things out that will free our hearts today that really need to dig into the heart of this message. One, God's glory is not opposed to your happiness. I know I'm honest with you guys. I mean, what's the main reason why we do most of what we do? Yeah, be happy. Right, It's right there in the Declaration of Independence. Life, liberty, and pursuit of... Yeah. God-given right, happiness. (laughs) How's that going for you? (laughs) Many of us have chased happiness, but, I mean, very few of us have really found it in a lasting sense, right? You hear all the time, man, if I could just get married, I'd be happy. Three years later, if I could just get divorced, If I had a steady job, I'd be happy. Man, if Friday were here. (laughs) If I could just grab a drink, oh, man, I'd be so happy. And then, you know, three years later, if I could just stop drinking. Just keep going, right? It's endless. It keeps going exhaustingly. When will we realize that the pursuit of happiness will never actually result in happiness? Because happiness is a byproduct of something else. Jonathan Edwards does a masterful job of describing this. If you've never read Edwards, um, get an encyclopedia and dictionary, and sit down and try to read him. It's amazing. But he, does, he, he wrote this book called The End for Which God Created the World, and it's all about God's glory. It's amazing. Um, he points out that the universe which exists to glorify God doesn't actually squash or prohibit the happiness of mankind. In fact, God created the universe God's happiness and man's happiness are not at odds, like some would suggest. Many of us believe that God's happiness is actually opposed to ours, right? And we look at the Bible as a list of rules we have to obey and things we don't get to do, stuff I really wish I could do, but I can't because I've got to live for God's glory so I don't get to be happy, right? Has anybody ever felt that way? Yeah. So look at this quote that Edwards writes, "I love this." And it's kind of a thick quote, but I'll just try to hang in there. "God, in seeking His glory, therein seeks the good of his creatures. Because the emanation of his glory, which he seeks and delights in himself, implies the communicated excellency and happiness of his creature. And that in communicating his fullness for them, he does it. For himself, because their good, which he seeks, is so much in union and communion with himself. God is their good. Their excellency and happiness is nothing but the emanation and expression of God's glory. God, seeking their glory and happiness, seeks himself. And in seeking himself, he seeks their glory and happiness. See what, you see what Edwards is saying? He's saying that God's happiness and man's happiness are not opposed to each other. God loves you. God wants you to be happy. And here's the thing. God actually knows what will truly make you happy. We just get caught up chasing happiness in all the wrong directions. Wook Panub in all the wrong places. And here's here's good news today, guys. You don't have to chase after things you think will make you happy because God is actually chasing you with that which will actually make you happy. All you need to do today is turn around and embrace him. I wish I could really dig in here. Um, I I will. I'll, I'll dig in just a little more. We either try, because here's what, here's what happens, I think, in our psychology. We either try to get God to give us what we want, when we want, how we want it. We pray these prayers, right? God is the Christina Aguilera God. He's a genie in a bottle. If you rub him the right way, he will do what you want for you, right? Is that a really bad? That's bad, yeah. Strike that from the recording. <laughs> I, it wasn't in my notes. I just went with it. We, we find ourselves saying this to ourselves. If God is good, then he would do this. He would fix this. He would heal this person. Why does he allow? Anybody? Yeah. We're like the four-year-old kid who prayed for the pink elephant. God, please give me a pink elephant. And surprise, God didn't give it to him. Why? Because God actually cares about the kid. It's not the best thing for that kid, Right? So we either try to get God to give us what we want, or we take what we want in spite of God. The comedian, I love what the comedian says, he said, I asked God for a bike, but I know God doesn't work that way, so I stole a bike and asked for forgiveness. <laughs> Isn't that how we live our lives? Yeah. I, I think God is opposed to what I want, so I'm just going to take it. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Right, And we think like this, right? We think like this. The problem is that in pursuing our own happiness, we are often undermining the very thing we're pursuing. We destroy the thing we're chasing. Most of us know God wants us to be happy, but we don't realize that, that joy comes not from our desires always being met, but by loving God and living for His desires. Because ultimately, his desires are what lead to our happiness. We get caught up living for our happiness, where if we would live for our God, we'd find happiness. We get caught up living for our glory, where if we would live for our God, he would glorify us in his time. John Piper says it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I have a question real quick for dialogue. What does it look like for us to glorify God by finding satisfaction in Him? What does that look like, practically? Let me think, like... Yeah. The person that makes you happy. Yeah, so, just for Him, right? God is the one who supremely makes me most happy. So, He's my first priority. I'm living for Him, right? Good. What else? What are some ways... Like, think about... Think about the context of uh, stuff we do every day. What does it mean to find pleasure in God through some of the things that we do? Contentment and joy in what He's brought into our lives. Contentment and joy in what He's brought into our lives. Resting that God has you exactly where He wants you when He wants you, and actually trusting in that and saying, "Hey, it's it's for God's glory." What else? Oh, man, that's so good. Yeah. Do it do do your work as unto the Lord, right? That's good. Yeah, Brian. So there's a proverb that says it's better to have a field of vegetables with love than a fat cap and cake. And so, so mm. like, if you don't have a whole lot of money, if you're willing to live with little instead of going into debt to be cool, mm. you know that better to follow the Lord. You know that. That's so good. Yeah, yeah, resting, yeah, and it's kind of another version of what um, somebody just said about, yeah, resting in the place where God has you, yeah, and the humility, being, a- being able to be content, Paul talks about that all throughout Philippians, right, being content in this age, and he's writing the letter from prison, he's talking about finding joy, it's the joy epistle, and he's in prison, right, finding contentment in God, yeah. What about some of the other stuff? Like, here's, here's a big one, okay? Let's talk about this. What, what, about, uh, what about, well, let's say, let's say coffee or wine, right? Can you drink stuff like that for God's glory? Like, like why do you drink your coffee in the morning? Eh, it's because if I don't have my coffee, I'm going to be a jerk. Everybody's going to hate me. I'm going to hate everybody. Is that drinking coffee for the glory of God? (laughs) 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 Everything we do, guys, everything we do, and I got to keep moving here in this sermon because we got a little more ground to cover, but everything we do, we are either doing for ourselves and our glory and our control over our life and our desires and our happiness, or we're doing it to glorify God. Everything. And the second point, right, God's glory is not opposed to your happiness, and the second thing is that God's glory is the most healing thing in our lives. The same glory that would melt us away in the state of our sin becomes the thing that actually transforms us as Christians, because we're in Christ. Like, look at look at this verse, Second Corinthians three eighteen. He's talking about Moses. I won't go into the whole backstory. He's talking about Moses coming down. Moses said, Show me your glory. God will let him see where he just was. And Moses saw his glory, and he comes down, and his face is glowing, and people cover his face up because they were going blind because his face is shining. Crazy story. And second Corinthians three eighteen, Paul says, And we all now with unveiled face. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Wait a second, I thought we would die. No, but in Christ we get this, right? Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. We're becoming like Christ. We're becoming more glorious as we behold God in His glory, right? From one degree of glory to another. So what does it look like Christian sanctification, becoming like Christ, what does that look like? Seeing Jesus in His glory and being transformed to display Him. And the more you see Him, the more you'll display Him. The more you'll be freed from living for your own glory because you'll be living for His. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And what real quick question, quick dialogue. What, is it, what does it look like to actually... Behold the glory of God. How do we do that in a really practical, everyday sense? Okay. Mm. So, so to actually take on God's character and attributes, right, in light of his glory. Cool. And how can we actually behold his glory? How can we see it? His word. Yeah. When you open the word, who do you meet there? Yeah. Jesus, the glory of God is embodied there in the word. Where else can we see God's glory? In the body of Christ, the community. Sharing stories of what God has done in community and praising God and glorifying him and lifting him up and letting our hearts be filled with faith. I'll tell you what, another thing I like to do on my Sabbath, you know, I don't normally stay indoors in my Sabbath. I go out there and see the sunset and see God's creation. And even though it's just a dim reflection of his actual glory, It's really hard to stare at a beautiful sunset, at sunset cliffs, without glorifying God. We see God's glory all around us. So, woe, lo, and lastly, go. Isaiah's world has been turned upside down. A few minutes ago, he was caught up in the everyday minutia, and now he has seen the glory of God. He's been cleansed, he's been transformed, and now God says this to him. Verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go. Here's a, here's a truth for you guys we can't go on mission unless we've caught a glimpse of God's glory, unless we've been captivated by God's glory. We'll have nothing to offer. We won't be changed. We won't be displaying Jesus because we haven't even seen Jesus in the first place. You know what I'm saying? And the more we see Jesus, the more we begin to display Him, the more clear our mission is. The more people will look at us and they'll be drawn to Jesus in His family, in His community. And Um, I I love this verse. uh, In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, so the next chapter after the last one we just read, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So, like, where... Stay with me here. Where we couldn't even step foot into the Holy of Holies back in the tabernacle place, now, because of the work of Christ... God has put His Holy Spirit into us. And we are, right here is the Holy of Holies. God has placed His holiness into your life. You are a tabernacle. New Testament refers to us over and over as tabernacles, going out on mission, taking God into the world. And it's not us they're seeing. I'm just a jar of clay, I'm a glorified mud ball. That's all I got well, what's inside? This treasure. Yeah, this treasure. The, the very glory of God. Inside. And look at God's mission for Isaiah. And this, this is what I kind of want to wrap it up with. I want to close it with this. Because it sounds, it sounds like bad news, but it's actually good news. Um, God gives Isaiah this, this loser calling. This calling sucks by our standards. Right? Um, in fact, Matthew Henry calls it A very awful commission. (laughs) Because Isaiah is gonna spend his entire life preaching to people that are gonna shun him. He's gonna go out there and he's gonna give them this message that God has for them, and it's gonna actually serve to harden their hearts. They're gonna reject him, they're gonna reject his message. How would you like that to be your like calling in life? I've got a purpose for you, Kenny. I want you to go to a bunch of people that are gonna hate you for your whole life. You're never gonna see the fruit of your labor. How's that sound? (laughs) Yeah. You're gonna go to your friends and your neighbors, you're you're never gonna see them come to Christ. But I still want you to go. Because you aren't doing it for you. And you aren't doing it for them. You're actually doing it for who? For the glory of God. And guys, if we don't get that, if we don't get that today, we will be crushed and unhappy in our lives. Because we'll be looking for results. We'll be living for all kinds of other motivations beside the glory of God. And we'll keep coming up dry. We'll keep coming up sad. And, and I know, like, in some sense it's actually true of us. We have a very similar commission that Isaiah had. Because God tells us to go and preach the gospel everywhere. And is everybody going to receive it? No. Some people are going to reject it. Some people are actually going to reject us. You will be rejected for Christ if you are obeying him. The, The gospel is good news to those who are being saved, but it's bad news to those who are perishing. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said it this way, and I love this quote. He said, The same sun which m- melts the wax hardens the clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. And you're like, dude, well, that, that sucks. I don't, I don't want to do that. How was is Isaiah able to do that? What happened to Isaiah before God told him to go? What did he see? What did he catch a glimpse of? The glory of God. And in that moment, Isaiah's life, as he knew it, stopped. Isaiah stopped living for all the lesser things he had been living for. And his chief, ultimate motivation in everything in life was for who? God's glory. He wasn't living for the results of the praise of men. He wasn't living for his own glory. Hey, Isaiah, you're a great evangelist. We had 50 people this year come and get baptized because of you. He wasn't living for that anymore. And here's the deal. If you are living for anything less than God's glory, you will end up burnt out, broken down, and unhappy over and over because we aren't defining happiness the way that God has called us to if we live that way. But once we see the glory of God in the gospel, it changes everything. It's, it, changes, it changes everything. And that's, that's the last point, right? God also gives hope in this. If you look at the very last verse, and this is what I'll close with. The very last verse in this passage, verse 13. And it's kind of in, in the middle of this bummer message that Isaiah is preaching. It says, And though a tenth remain in it, there will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So God is saying, I'm going to chop down the tree of Israel. That's the good news message that Isaiah is bringing. But does God totally uproot the tree? No. What do we see at the very end? The last last sentence of this chapter, and this is the key, guys, the holy seed is its stump. There's this holy seed. It's, it's also interpreted the offspring. The offspring of this tree. Where else does Isaiah talk about this coming offspring? If you just flip the book a few pages to the, to the left, you see Isaiah chapter 11. And he says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. So, not all is lost. There's coming a day. There's this offspring that's going to show up. Who's the offspring? And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. And the Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. Or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And he shall decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be his belt, and faithfulness will be in the belt of his loins. Who's Isaiah talking about here? What hope is there in this passage? Yeah, say say that again. Jesus, that's right. Jesus, the coming Messiah, the King, the suffering servant. He will constantly refer to Jesus throughout the rest of this book, Isaiah will. And he refers to him three ways. In in chapters 7 through 40, Isaiah refers to him as the coming king. In 41 through 55, Isaiah calls him the suffering servant who will save his own offspring. And in chapters 56 through 66, he refers to him as the Messiah who will crush God's enemy. So if you read Nehemiah, you'll keep seeing him refer to this offspring. But the first time he refers to it, he's referring to Jesus. And then every time after that, who's the offspring of Jesus? Are we talking about a Dan Brown thing? Did Jesus have kids? Is that who's the offspring of Jesus that he's referring to? It's the people of God. It's you. It's me. So when you read through Isaiah, all the rest of these chapters, it's full of promise. It's full of promise of peace, the coming Spirit, the reign of the Messiah, and all those promises. Who are they for? They're for you and I. Why? Because Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he was was rejected just like Isaiah, wasn't he? He brought a message. Did everybody receive it? No, they killed him. They killed him for the message he brought. And he went through this too. He suffered rejection. But as, as Piper says, the very purpose of the cross was to put God's glory on display. Jesus perfectly glorified God in his life. Here's what the good news is for you and I. Oftentimes, if I'm honest, when I walk away from a sermon like this, I'm like, man, I'm just going to second guess every motivation I have. I'm going to walk around super heavy thinking, man, I'm failing God all the time because I'm doing all this stuff for me at the end of the day. But there's good news that there was an offspring That Isaiah pointed to that was coming. And this offspring, he lived a perfect life in your place. He glorified God with every fiber of his being, every waking moment. He was the guy that that Austin was talking about that woke up in the morning thinking, how can I glorify God? Jesus did it for you. You are in him. You're complete in him. You're forgiven in him. Because of Christ, you can boldly go before the throne room of grace to get mercy for your time of need. Because of Jesus, you can stand in the glory of God without fear. You can look at the future that you have without fear because you know that you are loved and you are accepted because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Because every day, He perfectly glorified God in your place. So next time... You question your motivations, which I hope you do. I hope you go from this place saying, Who am I doing this for? Is it for me or is it for God? My glory or His? But as you do, don't allow yourself to be crushed under a load of condemnation. Because the gospel is good news. Jesus Christ took that condemnation for you at the cross, so you don't have to. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can boldly come before you today. Thank you that we can step into a room full of your glory without fear, without trembling, full of hope and expectation and joy at what you're doing. And that we know that we can look into your word, we can look into community, we can look into creation, and we can see your glory on display. And as we do, it actually changes us. It purifies us. Christ, just like that coal from the altar, has atoned for us, and we can stand boldly in your presence. Thank you for that, God, and thank you that you're transforming us by your glory instead of whisking us away. It's amazing, and I pray today that as we look into your glory, And as we behold it, and as we make more time in our life to see you in in Scripture and in community, I pray, God, that we would not be crushed under a load of condemnation. As we come down here and confess today, that we would confess joyfully, that we would repent gladly because of our hope in Christ, because we're not judged by our imperfections, but by your perfection, and that we would take what you've done in us, this transformative work that your glory is doing in us, as your glory is actually housed